In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So most people in this congregation know the secret to avoiding the post-Christmas doldrums, namely extending the day into the season that it properly is. It may be a challenge in Advent to restrain ourselves while the rest of the world rejoices, but that is made up for while we celebrate Christmas tide as the rest of the world sinks into depression. And after the, we, and we want them to come to celebrate with us. And after the 12 days of Christmas, just when we need it most, as the winter without Christmas threatens to descend upon us, there's epiphany. And the season of epiphany tide that follows. The season is not just about seeking the star, but reveling in its pure, bright winter light. And we have it hanging here to complement the two appendages hanging from our ceiling. To steal a phrase, epiphany is the most wonderful time of the year. Christ for all, even pagan astrologers. Not merely national, still less nationalist, but global Christianity. For this nation, yes, and every other nation too. If in the last few decades, it was the task of Christians in the wider town of Wheaton to recover Advent and the Christmas season, which we've done, it may be our task in the next few decades to recover this season of Epiphany, which stretches all the way through to the feast of the encounter of Mary and Simeon on February 2nd. And the fact that there's little risk of this season being commercialized makes that recovery all the easier. <laughs> but there's a problem least as I see it, with epiphany. Something that keeps us from being able, perhaps, to wholeheartedly embrace it. And that problem is this. As we celebrate the Magi journeying from the East to worship Christ, many Christians, or post-Christians in some cases, are themselves journeying to the East on their own pilgrimage of sorts, Burned down on Christianity's very public failures, some think that the light of, of Buddhism or Hinduism is brighter. The private pursuit of mindfulness, some think, offers what a Christian congregation like ours cannot. And we sure can learn a lot from the religions of the East. There are Buddhist and Hindu temples not far from here on Route 59 that I visited. I've enjoyed my visits but really, what should Christians do about this reverse Magi journey that troubles our story tonight? Now, as a way of highlighting the second chapter of Matthew that we just heard, let me offer the journey of a few contemporary Magi that might surprise you. These Magi journeyed far more deeply in the East than anyone I know of. And something happened to them. They found Christ there. Or rather, he found them. Our first unwitting modern magi is a psychologist who in the mid-20th century sponsored some of the first big translations of Far Eastern texts that are still used today. But he was also convinced he had to go to India himself. 
And so he did. And while he was there, he had a dream. And if this psychologist listened to anything, he listened to his dreams. And in the dream, he found himself not in India, even though he was in India when he had the dream, but in the Grail Castle off the southwest coast of England, which is to say his unconscious smuggled Christianity back into his psyche. <laughs> and that's not my assessment, it's his. Let me quote him. It was as though the dream were asking me, what are you doing in India? Rather, seek for yourself and your fellows the healing vessel, the servitor mundi, the savior of the world, Christ, <laughs> which you urgently need. For your state is perilous. You are in imminent danger of destroying all that centuries have built up, end quote. <laughs> so that's our first magi, Carl Jung, the psychologist, the son of a pastor, the disciple of Freud, who found himself, just like the magi, journeying from the east to Christ. And whether or not he fully arrived is a whole other topic. But our second magi is Robert Johnson. Another psychologist who knew Jung, Johnson built his career by giving talks about the Holy Grail, the symbol of the Eucharist, to churches. But he too felt something was missing. He felt the call of India. But the trip didn't go well. And it's one of the most astonishing stories I have ever heard. In Calcutta, that is, in the city of the destructive goddess Kali. Calcutta means field of Kali. He encountered human suffering such as he never thought possible. I'll let him tell this story himself. Quote, I was 1,000 miles from anyone I knew, and I felt myself falling into an abyss. It was worse than a panic attack. It was as if I had wandered into some corner of hell. Then I remembered there was something to do. I had once been told by a friend that in India, you have the right to approach a stranger and ask that person to be the incarnation of God. It's a startling custom. This person may refuse the request, but generally it is considered a sacred duty to accept the role if he or she possibly can. I walked several blocks until I reached a tiny park. Then I began desperately looking for someone I could approach and ask to be my incarnation of God. I spotted a middle-aged man. He was dressed in Indian fashion and was barefoot, but he had an air of dignity and calmness. I am amazed now at my boldness, but I was driven by desperation. I approached him. Sir, do you speak English? Yes. Would you be the incarnation of God for me? Yes, he replied. He pointed me to a bench. And for the next 20 minutes, I poured out my woes. He said not a word, but listened patiently to me. I was so grateful for this ministry that I then asked the man, Please tell me something about yourself. Who are you? What is your work? I'm a Roman Catholic priest, he replied, plainly and directly. In a city of over 10 million, less than 1% of which are Christian, Johnson encountered someone who testified not that he was the incarnation, but someone who testified to the Christian mystery instead. 
This psychologist found himself just like the Magi, journeying from the East to Christ. Another Magi, Houston Smith, the child of missionaries to China who became an authority on world religion, but who never gave up the Christian faith himself. And the following story might be part of the reason why. Quote, it was 1964, and I was using a semester's leave to continue my research in India. At the moment to be described, I was conversing with one of a number of gurus whose reputations had taken me to the foothills of the Himalayas, when suddenly there appeared in the doorway of the bungalow I was in a figure so striking that for a moment I thought I might be seeing an apparition. Tall, dressed in a white gown and with a full beard, it was a man I came to know as Father Lazarus, a missionary of the Eastern Orthodox Church who had spent the last 20 years in India. Ten minutes after I was introduced to him, I had forgotten my gurus completely. He was much more interesting than they were. And for a solid week, we tramped in the Himalayan foothills talking nonstop, end quote. So this scholar, a world authority on all faiths, just like the Magi, found himself journeying from the East to Christ. One last Magi tonight, William Johnston, a Jesuit priest from Ireland who spent 50 years in Japan. You may know him indirectly because he translated Shusako Endo's silence into English. Johnston was fully immersed in Zen Buddhism, but then he noticed something, the kind of things you notice when you live in a place instead of just traveling to it. He noticed that those who tried to fuse Buddhism and Christianity, to have it both ways, were not respected by the Zen Buddhists themselves who preferred Christian interlocutors who knew the depths of the Christian mystical tradition. So Johnston's conclusion to his life was this, quote, much as I love the Buddha and the patriarchs of Buddhism, I cannot make to them the commitment I make to Jesus, end quote. The difference Johnston found between Buddhist and Christian meditation, and he was well-versed in both, was love. For a Buddhist, love is a potentially distracting attachment. But God found himself attached, attached to us, attached to the cross, no less, because God is love. And so it was that Johnston the Jesuit, just like the Magi, found himself journeying from the East back to Christ. What we learn from the Magi, whether the ones in Matthew or the ones I just mentioned, is that Jesus is no tribal God. Our faith is not regional or rather, it is regional, but for all regions. Within centuries of the Magi's journey, 
Christianity overwhelmed the area where they came from. This branch of the faith is known as the Assyrian Church of the East. The heartland of Christianity for them was not the Midwest, at least not then, but Mesopotamia. And it went eastward from there. Theirs were the first Christian eyes on the Pacific. His dominion shall be also from one sea to the other. And from the river unto the world's end. The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. Isaiah didn't know the Pacific existed. But the Magi and those who followed them brought the gospel there. Many of you will know that this form of Christianity has undergone profound suffering. But their new patriarch, Mar Awa III, born in Chicago, consecrated patriarch in Iraq, just visited our area last month to minister to his flock. Yet another journey from the east to make the point to us about the universal Christ. As Vince Bantu puts it, Christianity isn't becoming global. It's always been global. And the Magi are why. They incarnate the message of Ephesians. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body. And not just them. All those from Sheba, that is from Africa, shall come. Just highlights of our readings tonight. Endless richness in them. And so, yes, we need epiphany tide. But it's not just about the Magi. Because impressive as their journey was, theirs wasn't the longest journey. Let me read from the Welsh poet R.S. Thomas. And God held in his hand a small globe. Look, he said. The sun looked. Far off, as through water, he saw a scorched land of fierce color. Let me go there, he said. That's the journey that prompted the Magi's journey then or now. The real arrival in tonight's gospel story isn't theirs. It's his. He traveled farther, not by the stars, but through them. And he, Jesus, made the journey for one singular reason to which he is irrevocably committed. He made the journey for you. Amen.